But I want to encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, continuing in our series called The Blessed, or Blessed by God. And I want to encourage you to maybe see a new light in this text. Um, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is fantastic. We're only going to cover the, the initial part called the Beatitudes in our series. But if you'll study this yourself in your own and just start tying some things together. It is phenomenal what God says here. Um, I don't know if you know today, but there are over a hundred wars being fought internationally uh, today. Over a hundred wars. Those are nations against nation that have taken armies and sent out armies to fight against other armies. Um, there's a lot of different statistics on that. Some, some people say America's involved in five of those wars. And it really all depends on how you count and what you consider a war. And uh, the UN um, says if you send more than a thousand troops, or send uh, a certain amount of troops, I don't remember the amount of troops, but more than a thousand troops have to be engaged in, in battlefront, uh, life-threatening stuff to con- be considered a war for the UN. Um, so that's how the U.S. gets to consider itself in really only five wars. There are some people who do the math differently and say currently the U.S. has soldiers our trained military soldiers in operations in 134 different theaters around the world uh, fighting against all kinds of different enemies. A lot of those are special ops guys that we'll never know who they were. And as Kurt says, they were never there. They went in and did a, a thing for the government to protect us and mankind. And, uh, and, and, uh, but we, have, we really believe there's probably well more than 100 of our own military operations going on uh, worldwide. That's just massive conflicts. But the lack of, and that just shows the lack of peace in the world. But the lack of peace uh, in the world is not the only thing we struggle with because it's actually in our community. Uh, it's within our lives, within our families. We have these conflicts within our families where we are literally almost at times at war with one another. Um, you know, daughters and mothers not getting along. I have a friend who called me just a few weeks ago and, uh, told me that his son had not spoken to him in, in uh, four years over some conflict they have. And I can't imagine not speaking to my sons over uh, conflict, uh, us not resolving that for four long years. But uh, daughters and mothers, sons and fathers, uh, we have racial conflicts. We have this foolish fighting of social classes, people that are uh, wealthy or poor. They all get uh, messed up with each other. I know some of you have been watching the news uh, pretty strong in the whole Ferguson, Missouri issue. And then this conflict in Maryland that's just been on the news every night. Just every night, if you turn on any news, there's just cars on fire and buildings and pharmacies on fire. And these towns are being torn apart by exactly what the Scripture uh, gives prescription to today. It's about raging conflicts that are happening in our world. And you have to ask yourself, uh, when you see that, you ask yourself, uh, where does that all end? Um, and my son wrote a blog, and he, he's just trying to help you understand. You don't actually solve a conflict by burning the policeman's cars. You just don't. That's not going to solve a conflict. You don't burn down a CVS pharmacy, and everybody go, "Oh, well, that's that." Yeah, now we don't need to. We don't need to fight anymore because we burned down a, a pharmacy, and we understand the principle. You know, none of that actually. All that violence and that inner strife and all that's not going to solve anything. So where does it all end? What could bring an end to the crazy, crazy, foolish behavior that's happening in Maryland? or happened in Ferguson or many other towns around the, 
the globe are fight, facing that, or the conflict that's in Northern Ireland, the conflict that's in Iran and Iraq today, the, the Palestinian Jewish conflict, what could bring an end to that? I believe the Bible gives a crystal clear prescription of that today um, and how we can change that. How can we save other towns from going through that destructive behavior? Well, I just think you've got to pay attention to the scriptures because 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke one sentence in the Sermon on the Mount. One sentence that is the key to ending all those, kinds, all those types of scenes and all the world wars. And it's this, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now listen to what he says about them. This is their promise. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my child, you want to be named after me, you should be a peacemaker. Not a troublemaker, but a peacemaker. And that's exactly what the scriptures call for today. So I just want to cover a few questions with you this morning. Let's consider a few questions there in your handouts. If, so you're in, you got them in your handouts this morning. Uh, the first one is, how important is peace to God? How important is peace to God? Well, I'll just tell you that from the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth... The original Garden of Eden, which had no sin in it at all, was created as a very peaceful place. There was absolutely no unrest there, no death, um, and, and there was tremendous amount of peace in the garden. It was a garden of peace. If you read through the whole Bible all the way to the book of Revelation, there's a promise for those of us who know Christ our Lord and Savior. There's a promise for us to be caught up and be with Him in the heavens. And live with God in heaven forever. And heaven is a place of perfect peace. So God's beginning of everything, His original design, is peace. And His restoration of everything in Revelation is going to be that we will live in an eternal existence in a heaven that's peace. And it's pure peace. It's God's design for peace. So we can kind of see from the Scriptures that there's just a lot of peace there. Now, when man came on the scene and sinned against God, in Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned against God, it broke all that peace apart, and it brought all the conflict that you see today. Even if you just want to talk about how you and your boss can't seem to get along, or you and a coworker or a neighbor have some sort of minor tussle, um, even that is, is a struggle that's brought on through man falling into sin. When mankind came and sinned against God and brought conflict, God sent a solution to that, and it was called Jesus Christ. He's actually called the Prince of Peace. We sang that song this morning. It's in Isaiah. He's the Prince of Peace. So God sent His only Son to reestablish the possibility of peace in man's heart. And that's why we follow Jesus, by the way, because He promised to change everything. He literally... Uh, is planning on changing everything, and it's through this concept of peace. And I want to show you how that works this morning. Uh, when Christ came to earth as a child, um, he was born as a baby in a manger. The angels came and, remember the angels sang and proclaimed him to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2? And, and they, they proclaimed these words, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. The angels were like, hey, finally, some peace down here. Jesus Christ, as a baby in a manger, is being born in Bethlehem, and the angels are telling the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest, and finally on earth. There's some peace here, because Jesus Christ is that Prince of Peace. There's over 400 references 
uh, to peace in the Scriptures. Over 400 references to peace. And uh, Matthew 5 calls everyone here that knows Christ your Lord and Savior, you raised your hand earlier, every one of you to be peacemakers. Every one of us, every Christian on the planet, imagine if this would actually function this way. If you could get Christians to do what God asked them to do, even just this simple part right here, to be a peacemaker, imagine how much less divorce, strife, arguments, uh, just... Just the message, I listen to my wife as a school teacher talk about parents that come in and just, you know, blast all the teachers and have this, throw these tirades and all Just all the conflict that happens in your life. You imagine how much easier it would be if the Christians in our world would literally just become exactly what Jesus is calling us to do in Matthew 5, verse 8, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, making peace, not trouble or conflict. So what is the meaning of this peace that Jesus is talking about? I want you to understand it's a little different than what we normally call peace. If you look up the definition of peace in the new, in uh, dictionaries and you just get people, philosophers and all that talk about it, they say peace is the absence of conflict. And I think I put it in your notes. That's a very bad definition, by the way. It's a very shallow definition. It's the absence of conflict. Where there's, People say where well, there's no conflict, no strife, and no animosity, then it's peaceful. Yes. It's also called a graveyard. By the way, you, John MacArthur says you can just go to any graveyard and find all the peace you want. You sit, you sit at any graveyard. You can argue with any tombstone out there. Nobody's arguing back. They're very peaceful people because they're dead. There's no life there. So how do you have life, real life, and the absence of conflict at the same time? That's a challenge because peaceful, the peacefulness that God's talking about and the peace God wants us to have is nothing like uh, what, what we're talking about, what uh, the world likes to think of is just the absence of conflict. Jesus promises in John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, I want to leave you peace, my peace, not as the world gives. I give you my peace. I do not give you the world peace, um, so don't let your hearts be troubled. See, there's two kinds of peace. There's the world's peace. How long does that last? Don't you like it when all these guys suit up and... All these very uh, famous people suit up and go over and try to resolve conflicts and national conflicts and wars with people. And people charge into these little towns like Ferguson and, and uh, the place in Maryland. They just charge in there and they're going to create peace. They're just going to bring peace to the whole community. That all lasts about eight minutes of videotapes. All it lasts. They're there for about eight minutes. They videotape themselves saying very important things. It's a real good speech. Everybody applauds. They get on the news. And they leave. And here we go again. Now, tonight's the same kind of thing. Tomorrow night's the same kind of thing. People go to Northern Ireland and try to resolve the conflict that's been there for hundreds of years. And there'll be a week or two of treaty signed or you know, contract signed peace. A week or two. And all of a sudden, somebody blows up a building, blows up a car. You know, Some family's murdered at the sake of another group terrorist group and all of a sudden we're just in huge trouble because that world peace can never ever last it's not built on the right deal and it's not what jesus is talking about jesus is not talking about the absence of conflict he's talking about the presence of something what real peace is the bible teaches that peace is not the absence of something it's the presence of god bringing wholeness to a person and goodness to a person see when when god moves into a person's life when a person trusts god as their lord and savior and gives Christ the full reign of their life. I surrender my life to Christ. When you do that, the Holy Spirit moves in. And it's the, the entire process at that point. 
It comes different for you. Because you can be a peacemaker because the Prince of Peace is now ruling your life. And it's not the same as just going to have some speech somewhere. When the Hebrews used to greet one another, they said the famous, we know the Hebrew greeting, right? Shalom. It's the word for peace. Now, it doesn't just mean, hey, peace, brother, kind of like the hippies used to. Hey, peace, man. That's not what they're talking about at all. When a Hebrew says shalom, they're actually saying, may the God of peace dwell in you and me. That's, the, that's, the, that's a great greeting, by the way. Shalom is more than, it's better than, hey, how you doing? Kind of the, like we do, hey, how you doing? Okay. It, it, when, when a Hebrew greets another Hebrew and says shalom, he's like, I want the God of peace. The God who is made of peace and who, who gives peace to everybody. I want him to dwell in you and dwell in me so we'll always be at peace. Isn't that cool? That's why they say it that way and that's, that's why it's their, their greeting because they're counting on peace working between them through God's peace, not their own peace. The greatest threat to this world is not climate change as some of our goofy politicians think. It's not even ISIS. It's, it's not even uh, you know some of the things that people get all sidetracked on. Nations in conflict with nations and cities in conflict with cities and families in conflict with families. The real threat to our society is three-letter word. It's sin. S-I-N. That's what causes every bit of the conflict. If you want to get to the root of any of the problems you watch on TV tonight, you watch the news. My son religiously, faithfully watches hours and hours and hours of it every day because he's a journalist. He loves that stuff. But you watch any conflict tonight on TV, anything that's in the news... Whatever happens, and at the very core of it, is sin. And the solution to sin is Christ who brings peace and righteousness. We're going to see how those tie together as we work through our message today. Um, God calls us to be His peacemakers, to follow Him and be peacemakers. The conflicts in this world can be solved if Christians, if the, if the church will just step up and do what the church is called to do, we could solve a lot of those conflicts very quickly. So what's the source of peace? Well, peace belongs to God. Peace belongs to God, not man. Romans 15.33, I don't think I put that one in your notes, but you could add it in there. Romans 15.33, Paul says, uh, The God of peace be with you all. 2 Corinthians 13.11, The God of love and peace, Paul tells the Corinthians, The God of love and peace be with you all. When Christ told you before, Luke two fourteen, when Christ came to the earth as a baby in a manger, he was he was hailed to be the one who would bring peace, glory to God in the house and on earth, peace, goodwill to man. Uh, Jesus Himself is called the Prince of Peace in the prophecies, proclaiming His coming as a child. He, Isaiah nine six, very famous verse for Christians: uh, For unto us a child is born. Listen to this: Unto us. A child is born. Unto us a son is given. God gave that to us. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. God gave us the Prince of Peace to rule in our lives. We know from Galatians 5, by the way, that peace is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. Those are the fruit of That's the fruit that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, bears in us when we live out our lives as we're supposed to and don't walk according to our own thinking and our own flesh. Ephesians says this when it talks about the full armor of God. Some of us are talking about 
uh, being armored up for God and suited up for God in the battles that we face in our spiritual life this last week. We were talking about having on the full armor. Well, the Bible says you should have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of, it's called the gospel of peace. The gospel, which is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins, is what brings peace. You want to walk peace right into that community that's burning itself to death? You want to walk peace right into the middle of, of Israel and Palestine's fight and, have, and walk peace in there? It's got to come with the gospel. See, the gospel is what brings peace to places. When people trust the gospel and accept the gospel, it changes everything. That's the message of peace that we are to carry everywhere we go. So Ephesians says, shod your feet, cover your feet with the preparation of the gospel. So peacemaking is one of the most important roles you and I can play on earth. We are to be messengers of peace. 2 Corinthians 5, Mark Wadier taught on this probably a year or so ago. Mark taught on this on a Sunday morning. That being ministers of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I'm glad we got new, not old, right? Um, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. That means we were enemies and he made us friends. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. When Christ made us friends with God, he says, now you're supposed to be friends with everybody. You're ministers of being friends with everybody. You're ministers of reconciliation. Ministers of reconciliation. And we're all supposed to live that out. He goes on to say... um, um, verse 20, we are therefore Christ ambassadors as though we were making this appeal through us. We implore you on, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And you're an ambassador for Christ. You're an ambassador of peace. You're supposed to go into this world, proclaim the gospel of peace every chance you get. So the church, an alive, healthy church, is supposed to be the hope of this world. Now, you can't have peace in your world or in your city, or even in your home, without making peace with God. You just can't have it. You know people that are trying to do this. You've seen families that are just at strife with each other, and they, never, they, don't, they don't seek God in their personal lives. They don't seek God through church relationships. They don't try to grow in their faith anywhere. And they're trying, they're trying to, then they come to work and they start telling you, it's just terrible, I don't know what we're going to do. We've tried everything. No, you haven't. You haven't put your life fully in God's hands and said, God, I want you to be the the Lord of my life and I want to surrender my life to you. And when that happens, I want to follow you. Now you can actually have peace in your home because God's going to be the Prince of Peace that brings it into your house. I've seen that so many times. We're supposed to be agents of peace in this world. Agents of peace in this world. And you can't do that without Christ being in your life. Um... One of my favorite movies at Christmas time, even though I'm not a big Jim Carrey fan, is uh, when, he, in the, when he plays the Grinch in that Jim Carrey movie called The Grinch. It's one of my favorite movies. We laugh and laugh. There's so many great lines in there. At one point, he's in his uh, lair, his cave, and he's looking over his schedule, and he says, um, the, they had invited him down to Whoville, and he says, the nerve of them inviting me down on such short notice, even if I wanted to go, my schedule wouldn't allow it. Four o'clock, I need to wallow in self-pity. Four-thirty, I need to stare into the abyss. Five o'clock, I need to solve world hunger. Tell no one. 
And then 5.30, jazzercise, 6.30, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. 7 o'clock, wrestling with my, wrestle with my self-loathing. I'm booked. And he says, of course, I could bump the loathing to 9 and I could still be done in time to stay in bed, stare at the ceiling and slip slowly into madness. Well, he says, solve world hunger and tell no one. I think we as Christians have solved world peace and just told no one. I think the Bible is telling you exactly how to literally bring peace on earth. And we just don't tell anybody. We don't, we don't take time to tell that. So I'm going to share with you that peace is what we're supposed to bring to this world. And I'm going to show you how uh, peace is supposed to work. In a few minutes, we're going to look at the very end of, this past, or end of this chapter in Matthew 5 and tie some things together. But before I do that, I want you to, to, to know one little caveat that's very important in your peacemaking efforts. Because I'm hoping... You're going to be ambassadors of peace. When you leave here, you're going to go, hey, we're going to go solve all the conflicts we possibly can by telling people about Jesus and helping people get close to God so they're much more peaceful. There's less conflicts in their home. There's less conflicts in our own home. We don't have to war with each other, right? I want you to do that. But before we do that, I want to tell you this. Peace is not always possible for a couple of very important reasons. Matter of fact, in Romans 12, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, if at all possible... So far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. The Apostle Paul, by the way, who was arrested many times, (laughs) he was not at peace with several government officials many times. At one point, they actually cut off his head because he was not at peace with the government at that time. The Apostle Paul says, if at all possible, as long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. The implication of that text is crystal clear. There are times when you cannot be at peace with all men. I'll give you some simple, simple examples. Um, if, If you have friends who have a value system that's not based on the scriptures, if you have friends that believe, for example, that abortion is okay, as a strong Christian, you need to take a stand against that. And there will not be peace between you on that issue. There will not be peace between you until they move to the truth. You understand? They have to move to the truth for you to be at peace with them. You cannot just be at peace with them. I mean, you don't have to go beat them up or anything. Obviously, we don't want to do that. But you will, there will not be unresolved stress and conflict in your relationship over that issue. So you're going to have all that energy with you for, for that. And the truth is, God is going to have to... Help that person move toward you. So you may be in conflict with a person who has a value system that's quite a bit different than yours, and that conflict cannot be resolved till they move to truth. And I want to tell you why. Because the Bible says, crystal clear, peace depends upon righteousness in a person. And remember, two verses before this verse in Matthew chapter 5, two verses before, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's interesting, the sequence. God says you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then you can become a peacemaker. By the way, you can't be a peacemaker if you're not hungering for righteousness, because the only thing that brings peace is right living. When people live rightly, then they have peace. It's actually said so eloquently in in Psalm 85. I don't know how. I've never seen this verse until I started studying peace these last two weeks. Um, Psalm 85, verse 10 says, Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So the psalmist is saying that's how the world's supposed to work is when righteousness and peace 
kiss each other. They're supposed to meet together. You can't have peace without righteousness. You can't have peace without truth. That's why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the Prince of Peace, by the way. He's all of that combined. And when he came into this world, he said, I didn't come to bring peace. You know why? Because before you can have peace, you've got to resolve unrighteousness. How do you do that? You have to face unrighteousness. You have to acknowledge sin. Before two people that have different values on abortion can come to some peaceful conclusion about that, one of them has to surrender and say, I think what I'm believing is sinful. Yes, it is. You need to bring that sin before God and confess it. He'll wash it clean at the cross. And you need to move aside, move across the aisle to the truth of that precious life being a, a life given by God that you can honor and protect. I'm going to tell you young people, you're going to have people that you spend time with and even date. They're going to have different value systems than you have regarding your purity. And if your value system is drawn from the Scriptures and theirs isn't, there needs to be conflict. And you need to be big at having conflict with that and going, hey, we're not crossing that line. I'm sorry. I'm not going to go against the Scriptures today. I'm not going to go against God's Word. I'm going to stand on the truth. And if we're in conflict to the point you have to leave, then you have to leave. See, that's how we should stand. And sometimes, if at all possible, and it depends on you, be at peace, but never break the scriptural confidence and the scriptural value system to be at peace with somebody. That's something our culture is pushing really hard, by the way, today. Our culture dramatically today is pushing that if you want to be at peace with people, you just need to tolerate them. And, and you just need to say, it's okay. It's okay. I have several friends that are homosexuals. It's not okay. They know it's not okay with me for them to be homosexuals. They're practicing homosexuals. It's not okay. It's not okay. They declare themselves to be Christians. And I'm like, you're in sin. You're living in sin. You've got to change that. Now, I also have several friends who are, who are, they believe they are homosexuals, and they've chosen as Christians not to practice their homosexuality because they know it violates the Scriptures. See, they're moving across the line now and going, man, this truth says I've got to change something. I've got to change something. I can't do that. Anymore, I can't practice what I believe is something I was. They think they were made that way. No, I can't practice that. So I'm gonna gonna let go. And it's literally they have to die to themselves, just like all of us have to do at the cross. You have to die to yourself. You're not in charge of your life anymore. When you give your life to Christ, it's His, not yours. And I have friends that are trying to learn how to do that. But you, at times, you have to say, "Hey, that's sinful. I'm sorry. I'm not being critical. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or." You know, I don't judge you as bad because I'm a sinner too, by the way. You can tell somebody they're in sin without condemning them. You know that Jesus did it all the time? Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Who, who's the most righteous person ever? Jesus. And he tells an adulterous woman caught in the very act of adultery. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, peacemakers know how to just put themselves in the place of greatest humility and say, I'm just like you. I'm a sinner just like you. And I, I don't want us to be in conflict over this. We have different values. But if you would just move towards the truth, God will give you some peace like you've never known before. That's what peacemakers have to do. They have to find a way to draw people to at least face the truth. And sometimes when you do that, peace is not going to always be possible. Because to have peace, righteousness and truth have to kiss each other. Righteousness and peace have to kiss each other. That's what the Bible says. So what does a Christian following Christ look like? What does a Christ following peacemaker look like? Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. You're with me there in Matthew 5. If you look in verse 9 one more time, I'm going to tie something together for you that's really cool. Matthew 5 verse 9. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. That's, the, that's what you're going to be called if you're a person that says, hey, I want to bring peace. I want to bring peace to the conflict of my friends that are living in homosexual sin. I want to bring pre- peace to the conflict of families in my neighborhoods that are just tearing each other apart. I want to bring peace in my own family where there's estranged cousins and aunts and uncles and all this mess. I want to bring peace. The Bible says if you're working towards that by sharing your faith in the gospel and Jesus with those people, you are a peacemaker and God calls you... His son. His son. I don't know what it means to you. I've, had a, I've raised lots of children in my time under my youth ministries. Several of them were um, fatherless children. They didn't have a dad. They didn't know who their dad was and that kind of thing. And uh, I'll never forget being in a couple of different environments. Several different times in my life it's happened. But, but I've, I've stood next to some kids and introduced them. And I would say, you know, these this is my son Josh and my son Caleb. And I, I'd say something like, uh, you know, and this is one of our other sons. We sort of count as part of the family. He's one of my other sons. And those kids that don't have fathers, later on they'll come back with tears in their eyes and say, man, I can't believe you said that about me. That's, like, amazing. Now, all it was just me, this goofy old me saying, you know, I'd like, you're just like one of my sons. Just like one of my sons. Can you imagine standing next to Almighty God? Almighty God. Creator of the heavens and the earth. He can speak a word and create a universe from a word, right? Standing next to him and him put his hand on you and go, I want to introduce you to my son. Can you imagine God introducing you as his son? That's what happens when we become peacemakers, peacemakers. Now, what would that look like? Just keep reading. If you read through the Sermon on the Mount, when you get to Matthew chapter 5, a little later on, there's this whole concept that Jesus is trying to... Remember I told you this sermon that we think is so cool, when we think about it, it's like, wow, that's a great sermon. It's shaking the daylights out of the Jews. I mean, Jesus is punching and shaking. He says things like, uh, verse 21, I'm just going to hit some highlights with you. We're not going to teach this, but just watch. You have heard that it was said, uh, the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. He says, this is what you've been told by the ancients, by the former rulers of the Jewish community. Whosoever commits uh, murder shall be liable in the court. But I say that everyone who's angry with his brother is guilty of murder. You think that might have shake, shook the crowd a little bit? Just, oh, what did he just say? What? No, that's not what the ancients say. As long as we don't commit murder, it's okay if we think murder. Mm. Jesus goes, no. No, and he, you, know, there's, you know your scriptures enough to know there's several more of those. Verse 27, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. I say that everyone that looks on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery. If you do it in your heart, you do it in your head, it's the same thing. Jesus is saying, hey, there's a whole other standard here you're missing. A whole other standard. When he gets to verse uh, 30, he talks about, or 33, um, her, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not make false vows and and fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say if you make an oath by heaven or earth and don't fulfill it, it's all the same. Um, You've heard that it was said um, an eye for an eye, verse 38. But I want you to look at this, verse 43. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right? Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That makes good sense to me. Pretty, Pretty much a good plan. No, it's not. Jesus says, but I say... Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons 
of your Father who is in heaven. Sons of God. That's the same passage. It's the same exact promise. Jesus is saying, here's what it looks like to be a peacemaker. And there's just the list. <laughs> if you want to be a peacemaker, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love is an action word, by the way. It means you take action to love people that are hard to love. People that have sort of vowed some things against you. People that are challenging you. Love your enemies. I had to do that yesterday, by the way. I had to greet someone and meet someone that is really not my friend and not being friendly to me. But God put me in a situation where I actually had to do it. I took accountability with me. So I'd be smart and do it wisely. But I had to do that. So um, number two is to, Jesus says this, pray for your enemies. Pray for my enemies. Well, yeah, I'm going to pray. You better believe I'm going to pray for them. You, you bring them to all kinds of, God, you know that damnation stuff you got going. Let's do some of that with my enemies. Yeah. No. Pray for your enemies. Now, if he wants to say, pray for your enemies, think about what he's saying. Jesus is saying, love your enemies, pray for your enemies. And people are going, pray for my enemies. If you just move down the passage just a little ways, Jesus says, oh, by the way, here's how you pray for your enemies. Here's how you pray, period. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, this is just a paragraph later, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, would you let my enemies, would you let my enemies learn to hallow your name? Would you let my enemies learn to hallow your name? You know what happens when your enemies hallow the same name you're hallowing? You're not enemies anymore. You're on the same team. Would you let my enemies hallow your name? Would you let my enemies be part of the king, your kingdom so that when your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven, they're part of that kingdom? Would you let my enemies be part of your kingdom? See, he teaches us how to pray just a few verses after he tells us to pray. He says, here's how you pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation. Lord, would you just not lead my enemies into temptation and would you lead them away? From temptation, would you forgive them their debts? Would you let them find you so their debts are forgiven? That's how you pray for your enemies. Well, that's kind of weird, isn't it? You've, surely you figured out by now that loving Jesus is weird. <laughs> it's upside down. It's backwards. Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. That's how you pray. And he actually says, greet your enemies. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, and what reward do you have? Um, don't even the tax gatherers do that? If you greet only your brothers, what more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Now, I'll just tell you, yesterday, I had to greet somebody that's really not my friend. They've taken some pretty strong shots at me, and I had to greet them in a setting that was not easy to greet. And it was not comfortable. I mean, I'm just being honest. It was not comfortable. But here I am getting ready to preach this passage, and God's going... Mm, greet that enemy. Come on now. Come on. I'm going, yeah, I'm going to go this way. No, I'm going to go back over here. You know, I'm like, oh, going down the aisle, I'll greet. You know, and I greeted. I hugged. I, I greeted like I would greet any one of y'all and said, Lord, I, you're going to have to bring a whole new me into this so that I'm not trying to take any shots or any digs or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just here to comfort and, and to express God's love to them. You know, that was my heart's desire. And it took a while for me to purify that. And driving over, I had to purify all that and get it right. You know, I had to let go of everything I wanted to be and do in that moment. Kind of take a stand for me and Jesus and all the things that I think I should. God said, hey, you're not there for that. Just greet. Just like it says, greet. You know what we don't do with our enemies a lot? We don't greet them. We avoid them. 
Like the plague, we avoid them. The Bible says we need to greet our enemies. How are you ever going to show them love if you don't greet them? Pretty simple, isn't it? How are you ever going to show them love if you don't greet them? How are you ever going to introduce them to Jesus or be a peacemaker? Here's what the passage says. If you want to be a peace, if you want to be a son of God, if you want God to put his arm around you and say, This is my son Bill. This is my daughter Darlene. This is my son Al. If you want God to do that, you've got to be a peacemaker. So let me close with just a couple of quick thoughts here. Just three final notes. Peace is only possible if Jesus rules in your heart. If you don't let Jesus rule in your heart, that's the only way peace is possible. There's a passage in Colossians 3. If you want to, in your handout, you want to make a note about this. Um, Colossians 3 says this. As those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All that's talked about, by the way, in the... And the Beatitudes, heart of all of that. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgives you, you should forgive them. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. As one body, be thankful. Now, the, the Greek word in this passage, peace, rule in your hearts is the word for officiate, like a referee at a football game. I remember watching Dallas at all his football games and the referees out there, you know, they, they, get, they have to make the call. Got to make the call. Figure out what the call is, right? And they make the call. And the official says, nope, that was out of bounds. You know, play goes back this way. That was out of bounds. You were out of bounds. When, when, you're, when you're letting the peace of Christ rule in your heart, the peace of Christ is making the call for your life. He's going, that... If you do that behavior when you walk in and talk to that lady, out of bounds. Out of bounds. I'm like, oh, man, that's what I, oh. And God goes, no, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Do that which is compassionate, full of humility, full of love beyond all these things. Put on the love which is the perfect bond of unity. And then in verse 16 it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Word of Christ richly dwell in you. So you have, you have uh, just so you're crystal clear on this. Peace is, not only possible, peace is only possible if Jesus rules in our heart, Colossians 3. Peacemakers are possible because God is telling us to fulfill the role. A lot of people say, well, this will never work. You know, God says that we can do this, which means we can do this. I really would tell you this. If all the churches in the world that were evangelical churches, there's a couple of statistics that are roaming around now because all the political fervor that's going around our upcoming election, that 80% of Americans, 80% declare themselves to be evangelical Christians. 80% of us. Now, I think that number is extremely high, by the way. I don't think that nearly those people that are actually evangelical Christians. I think 80% of America thinks they know God, and they know about God, and they understand the thing about Jesus and the cross, but they have never surrendered themselves to Him. So I don't know what the percentage of that is, but it's not nearly that high. But if we just had 40% of America that had the full value of peacemaking and Christ dwelling in me, and I'm going to teach you about Christ so you can change, if 40% of us were doing that, it would change this continent and it would change other continents. John and I were at a conference just a few weeks ago. You know what the number one nation that China is sending missionaries to you know what the number one nation China is sending missionaries to, to to reach to send the gospel out? America. China. China is sending missionaries to America. That's messed up, by the way. 
we should be sending missionaries to them. We really should. I'm sure we have a few going over there. But they're sending more missionaries to us than anybody because our country desperately needs the gospel. We, as Americans, are supposed to be the hope of this world. Or as Christians, are supposed to be the hope of this world. And it's possible because Jesus says it is and because I've seen it work in people's lives. I can prove it to you in individual lives and families. So those who are God's true children, the last thing I want you to get just from the Beatitudes, if you just read the Beatitudes that we've been studying for the last few weeks, you're supposed to live a changed life. Christianity is not a title that you get and you go, hey, look at my title. I'm a Christian. Good for me. And you just live like you're supposed to. What Jesus is teaching all these people on this hillside that's really shaking their world up is when you trust me, you better change. You better look differently. You better be a merciful person. A merciful person. Remember that? Blessed are the merciful. You better be a a humble person. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When When you trust me, you will change. Your faith is supposed to change. Now, the best way for that to happen, and I'm going to invite the ensemble to come back up. We're going to sing one more song to you uh, while we're preparing communion uh, for you. But the ensemble is going to sing um, Nothing But the Blood. There you go. It's in my head. Nothing But the Blood. And uh, I want to remind you before we take communion today um, that we shouldn't take it unworthily. This is the body and blood, the representatives of the body and blood of the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. This represents His body and His blood broken for you so that you don't live to sin. So you don't live to sin, but you live to righteousness. And you live to godliness and you literally bring peace to this world. Amen? So I'm going to lead us in prayer and ask you to bow your heads and just confess your sins right where you are. Today is a great day to confess your sins before the Lord. And uh, Mark and Larry are going to bring the communion to you in a few minutes. I'll tell you how that's going to work. We're going to do a little bit different today. It's going to come to you.